I'm Mike. I'm Chris. And I'm Scott. Welcome to DMs Discuss, where this week DMs will discuss Tears Court. Uh, this is going to be another in our series of episodes where we take either questions from you or things we've seen uh, throughout the TTRPG world and just kind of give our take on uh, what we think about it. Yeah, so today we're going to get started with uh, Dreamy underscore Dice on Twitter. Um, and this question is related to metagaming um and the tweet is like my character shouldn't know what a bonus action is does that mean i should never say i'll disengage as a bonus action the mechanics of the game exist and are interacted with as part of the game that doesn't make it metagaming and certainly not a bad thing imo and this also kind of uh this is not part of the tweet this is just kind of editorializing here but i think this also prevents itself when we say like Hey, I have a six in medicine. What do you have? Uh, how do y'all feel about this? I think it kind of depends. Uh, like for that situation on, you know, how long the game has been running and like what the situation is. Because uh, I do think, you know, that's not always a metagame question. It can be. It could be role played out better. But sometimes, you know, it's something that your character might have known at some point, but you just need a refresher just a quick, you know, like, are, are you the one who's good at this or is it? Or is it Mike who's good at this, you know? And I don't think, you know, like a casual question like that is metagaming. But as I said, you know, the, the context is what matters. Yeah, I think I'd agree with that for sure. I think for me, it depends a lot on uh, the context and the game you're playing. Like, this is something that you should chat about in your session zero when you're talking to your players. Do you want table talk about stats and things like that? Or do you want your characters to role play it? Because it could very much be like a... I'm looking at this plant. I want to see if there's any like medicinal properties. And he says, okay, we'll go ahead and roll nature. And you're like, Oh, I was hoping to roll medicine. Uh, you know, I'm good at making the things, but identifying the things, not so much like, Hey, Druid friend, you're good at naturey things, right? It, like you can play it out and RP it a little bit differently. If you're, if you don't want that, like stat number metagamey style stuff at the table. But I think that's definitely like just a discretion thing. I don't mind it at my table. Yeah, I, I, I'm kind of on the fence with this one. I, I think it, it can break immersion and it can kind of, at least for me, I really do like when people stay in character. I think it makes the game a lot more fun. And I also like people who are not good at a particular check making that check. I don't think there's anything wrong as you know this person's not the greatest with uh, medicine, but one of their one of their party members just found ill and they said oh i'm gonna check on them and the dm says make me a medicine check and then i think that's okay and even if you fail that i think that leads to like fun story kind of elements um i think sometimes players fall into this trap of we need the best medicine checker to make every medicine check or we need the the wizard who's very intelligent to run to roll every investigation check and to some degree, I get it from the aspect of like min-max and wanting to do well as a party. Um, but I think it can take away from things at times. Uh, how do y'all feel? Well, I think that's interesting because, you know, some of this can also be combated by essentially using the the style of DMing where, you know, essentially the players don't get to decide 
checks and stuff, you know, like uh, nothing happens until it's done. So like if you kind of set it up is that, you know, players can't say I'd like to make a medicine check. They just, you know, right. say I'm I'm going to do this and then you decide if it's a check or not is, a, is an interesting way to kind of like, you know, get over that of just, you know, like maybe it happens, maybe it doesn't, uh, but just kind of like remind them that, you know, checks don't exist until you say they do. That's interesting. I've never really explored that. Like, I, I don't mind my players asking to make particular checks. Uh, and when I ask for a particular check, I don't necessarily mind them being like, uh, you know, hey, you have a plus five, okay, I got a plus four. Um, I don't necessarily mind it. I do think it takes a little bit away from just the the story, the immersion. Like, I would prefer it to be RP'd like, oh, hey, have you seen something like this before? Um, you know, I guess as you play longer, like you said, it's like in character, they probably should know that this wizard is highly intelligent, right? Yeah, like over time, your party will learn like who's good at what and like that'll become their thing. And that makes sense to me. Uh, but like early on, as you're learning and as everybody's figuring out what everybody else is good at, I think it makes sense to uh, have the ability to make those checks with the person that has the best chance. It also depends, I think, on your DMing style of whether or not you let parties make multiple attempts at things right like if there's a really valuable like flower or plant or something and the guy's like all right i need to harvest this like so we can bring it back and let's go and i'm like all right we'll make a nature check so we can do it and he fails real bad and now they need to like what go find another thing because he mangled this plant um they don't get another chance at it like so i think it depends on the the stakes of the the check as well about whether or not i would let them do that yeah, I think that makes sense. I, I, I think stakes is an important kind of word here, because like, let's say it's a medicine check to investigate a particular like, oh, one of your party members has fallen ill and uh, they're coughing and stuff like that. You're going to make a medicine check. The stakes on that can be pretty low. Um, the one place that I as a player metagame a ton uh, would be when it comes to healing. I often play healers and sometimes it's really like, hey, are you low? Like how you look and then. And then you get into that weird kind of tiptoey RP conversation where it's like, well, how rough? Like, if you had to give me a number out of 58, like, are you 13 out of 58? Are you 20? You know, yeah. what percentage of rough are you? And I think I think when it comes to like uh, games that where DMs are a little more uh, combat heavy and combat is challenging, I think as a healer, that's just information you need to know. Like you need to be able to assess how rough somebody is to determine, are you going to do a fourth level cure wounds? Are you going to do a healing word? Uh, and I think that's really important. So I don't mind it in that, in that sense. I think it's super important there and the stakes are really high for messing up there. Right? Yeah, that's fair. I think for things like that, like if you were in combat looking at somebody, you would be able to tell how close to death they were most of the time. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> but I think it's funny when it had like, are you 10 close to death? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you're asking for exact numbers, then maybe that's a little much. But yeah, I don't know. And, and when it comes to like the, the notion of this tweet, like my character shouldn't know what a bonus action is. Does that mean I should never say I'll disengage as a bonus action? I, I think I think taking that out of the vocabulary is better for the overall game and the story of the game like if you say you, you know i'm gonna disengage and i'm gonna run back here i think sometimes players do that to indicate to the dm like bonus action action movement bonus action action movement where they're really they want to be very clear about like their turn but i think as that goes on and like in games with you mike like sometimes i don't 
I don't announce that I'm going to sometimes I do sometimes I don't like I'm going to bonus action bardic inspiration. It's like, no, I'm going to play my flute and inspire my my teammate. Yeah. And I think that's it just sounds better. I think that makes sense. Yeah, I think that makes sense. The only thing that I think it's more clear if you announce like I'm going to disengage and do this because then you get out of um, like misunderstandings where like I'm going to run this way. It's like, okay, well, these three guys are going to take opportunity attacks. Well, no, I disengaged. Well, you didn't say that. Right. So like there's I think it depends on the situation. Oh, I think you have to use those keywords like you have to say disengage or I'm going to go here and hide. Mm -hmm. And as a DM, as a more experienced DM, I mean, we know when someone's saying that, that what they're really saying is I'm going to bonus action. action. Yeah, for sure. I think as newer players, there's nothing nothing wrong with this. Um, I think it makes things clear. I I generally prefer not to kind of do stuff like this, but, uh, you know, I'm okay with it. Okay, so verdict on being metagamey. Nah, not really. I mean, you know, in the technical aspect, yes. Uh, but do I have a problem with it? Nah, not really. Yeah, I would agree. I'd say that this stuff, as opposed to being like metagamey, is more just like a kind of like a missed opportunity to roleplay things better. Like, especially when compared to like actual metagaming, like, you know, like knowing monster stat blocks or like yeah. calling out CR levels. Uh, using the numbers and the mechanics of the game and descriptions, uh, especially like when you're a new player can be really helpful to, you know, keep things organized in your mind and, uh, on the scale of metagames is very low and, you know, I would, I would ignore it. Yeah. And I think when we talk about metagaming, that's like using player knowledge. That's not character knowledge. Like Chris said, looking up a stat block or being like, this is a Tarrasque when, when you had have had no in-game way to even know what the hell a Tarrasque is. Um, this is more so trying to discuss mechanics, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mike, what's your verdict on this? Uh, I would say I'm probably in the same vein as Chris, where I don't have a problem with it. And it could be very helpful for new players. Uh, that said, it is also an opportunity for RP and the more RP, the better for me. So I'm, I would prefer it to be RP'd, but I have no problem with people using, uh, out of game, like numbers to discuss this stuff. That's fine by me. Yeah, um, sounds like we're on the same page in terms of that, where it's like, yeah, it kind of is missed opportunities for role play, but no, it's not something we're going to throw the book at, you know, like, it yeah. is what it is, and it happens. All right, cool. Um, our next little one comes from a uh, a tweet from at Abyssal Bruise, uh, B-R-E-W-S, Abyssal Bruise. Uh, I've never had a positive experience with warlocks in my campaigns until my recent COS run. Our, yeah, I knew Mike would, would scoff at this. Are problem players just attracted to warlocks or am I just unlucky? First of all, I feel personally attacked by this question. Uh, and and secondly, I, I don't I don't know. I don't think warlocks are a thing that attract problem players. I think that problem players will play whatever they think can break the game the most. And warlocks do that a lot because they get all their stuff back on short rests. You have like an excuse to be evil because up until I think Xanathar is like there were no good patrons. So it was like an excuse to be kind of a dick. They might've attracted people that wanted to play like a morally ambiguous character. Might They might have. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think Warlocks is the... I, I'm going to say it, uh, and I might offend some people with this, but uh, the quintessential edgelord character. 
I think the notion of like having I think you can only offend yourself with that because you only play edgelord characters. <laughs> no, I don't. I, I don't only I have played some edgelord characters, um, but I, I think some of my characters have been a little more lighthearted. But I think Warlock is the quintessential like occulty, dark evil, uh, Cthulhu, like horrorish. Um, I, I think this class kind of appeals to those who want to to play into that fantasy like you said that kind of morally ambiguous like or that struggle between like good and evil i know now with like things like celestial warlock and stuff like you said like with the introduction of some of the newer ones Mm. maybe not as much but um i I think this just lends itself to players who want to stir the pot a little bit yeah i think also the thing is i wouldn't say it attracts problem players i think it leads to uh character choices that are not easy for new players to do properly because like as you said right you know like if your idea of like you know fantasy is oh i want to be like the creepy spellcaster uh and i want to be a necromancer i'm going to be like a demon summer summoner right like playing it an evil aligned character in a party is not an easy thing to do especially if you're new to D. and so i think some of the problem might be is characters who kind of you know get caught up in the fantasy of regularly wanting to conjure demons forget that oh right maybe the paladin isn't super chill with this and i didn't really think (laughs) about that (laughs) i i think that's i don't know that uh, this is one i struggle with i i think i struggle with this notion because i i am kind of of that mindset where like necromancy and things like that are i mean i guess that the lore around it even the lore in our personal world like you know the lore in society is that this stuff is kind of occult and uh you know like forbidden magic and stuff like that um but i'm kind of the mindset like i mean i like the necromancy spells i like raised dead and i like things like that i think there's such little opportunity to use them because of things like you said that good guy paladin or good person paladin um that is just like no i'm not okay with that which totally makes sense um well, the thing but is, I like, think... I think there's, I think there's room to make them more acceptable if you have the experience to be able to talk your way out of it. Like, for mm-hmm. example, like if you're summoning demons, you could point out that you are forcing them into your unwilling servitude, and you're actually getting back at the demons from hell by using them as tools in your crusade, or that you know, like, uh, by raising the dead, you're enabling their spirits to find rest, and so it's actually like a good thing that you're doing. Uh, but yeah. like, those are kind of, you know, some big swings to pull at a party. And if you're just, you know, chose a warlock because, you know, haha skeletons are fun, you might not have thought that far ahead of like how to yeah. make people okay with it. I think what you said about it's harder. I think it's a class that's just by its very nature is harder for new players to pull off. I think some players do pick up this class uh, to introduce conflict and to introduce that aspect of like evil. And I think all of us, we like we don't allow evil alignments in our campaign, like neutral or. I mean, I guess we allow I, lawful I, evil. I, I would yeah. actually argue that people don't take it to purposefully introduced evil. I think they pick the class as cool, and they don't think about the fact that they'll be perceived as evil mm, to the yeah, other role players. Right? They're just like, "Oh man, yeah. like this is like a cool class." Until the other players are like, "Well, what you're doing is what my character would find morally objectionable." You just opened a you just opened a void into like some alternate dimension and these guys are getting eaten by like some crazy tentacle monster in the void. 
that's, that's pretty fucked up, man. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I guess, I mean, verdict here. Are problem players just attracted to warlocks or am I just unlucky? I would say I don't think they're attracted to warlocks. I think that warlocks can just accidentally lead you into problems and it may not even be the players. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think they're just a difficult class to play properly if you want to keep them in a world with good aligned characters, at least if you're playing some of the classic ones. If you're playing like a noble genie warlock or you're playing a celestial warlock, it's a little bit different. But uh, any of the old patrons, yeah, it's just a little bit harder to blend that personality into a party. I agree. I, I don't think it's a problem with the players themselves. Like, granted, I'm sure some problem players will play warlocks just as some problem players will play thief rogues and steal from the party or kill you in your sleep. Uh, and this goes back to all the session zero talks and the expectations and all that stuff we've touched on in earlier episodes. Yeah. But my verdict here is like, if they were truly problem players, I think this is just unlucky or coincidence. Um, I, warlocks are, are fun when they're played well. I think, uh, I think they can be really fun. And then also as a multi-class, I think the notion of like that good versus evil struggle of like paladin multi-classing warlock and having like your good deity and then this kind of evil patron kind of fighting for yeah. your soul. I, I think this class is uh, is fun and I just think it's it just depends on the players. I don't think the class attracts problem players. I think the class is just set up to be difficult to play lore wise, as Chris said. Cool. What do you offer us next? Alrighty. Um, so next, this this comes from our TikTok. If you're not following us on TikTok, uh, feel free to do so at DMs Discuss. And you know, if you have an, a topic for us to discuss, feel free to DM us on that. Um, but this was from, I hope I'm saying this right, Kimmerl Oakenfist. Um, and this was a comment left on one of our videos. We had two players who teamed up and wouldn't help the party, leading to PC deaths. It got to the point where DM held a second session zero and then incorporated puzzle solving and combat to encourage teamwork that seems to have fixed the problems instead of three groups, two separate groups and me in the middle trying to facilitate. We now are starting to work together and the game is running smoother. I don't necessarily know there's a question here, but I just wanted to get thoughts on this notion here of, of like this inner party conflict that's happening. Um, yeah, I mean, I think you you have to discuss this kind of stuff in session zeros. And it, it can't like you can have a split party and that can work in some instances. But if you're just like having two people that are refusing to help when combat starts or they are running and hiding and leaving people to die and stuff, then that's just not fun for anybody but those two people. So I think you just need to have like a frank discussion about what being a party in this game means. And like these characters, whether or not the players want to, the characters have bonds and the characters would do things to help the people that are around them and stuff like that, right? Like, unless you're an evil character and you're going to run and hide while your friends die, fine. But, like, I, I think you this is something that has to be discussed ahead of time. And if the way the game is playing out isn't working for people, you need to be mature enough to just, like, have a chat with your DM and be like, hey, I'm not really into this because it's nothing but combat and I like puzzles and I like RP and we're just like logging in and just killing shit for three hours and leaving. And there's no like character development. There's nothing. Can we work some of more of that in? I think you can do it in a way more mature way. I don't think like getting other characters killed and just refusing to engage in the way the game is being played is a mature way to handle that. Yeah, and I'd absolutely agree. 
that definitely that was the right calls to have like another session zero to like realign uh to kind of you know get everybody working together again because you know clearly if if two players are clean teaming up with each other right then you know they're obviously not enjoying what the rest of the party is doing uh so finding a way like around that is definitely like the right call to kind of you know get everyone back on the same track for sure yeah i mean the fact that they had to have a second session zero i mean there's definitely some conflict happening at the table or definitely some some things that are not going very well and this notion of like two players teaming up against the rest of the party um I mean, I can understand that happening if there is like RP precedent for it and everyone out of character is okay with that. But it sounds like this was like a bad table situation where some people, maybe they weren't having fun and and they decided to kind of like team up against the party or maybe they were truly in character, but other players didn't feel like this was appropriate, etc. Just the fact that they had to have a second session zero, I think speaks to that people weren't on the same page here and i think when you when you talked about the notion of like they will like your your party has to want to be a team that doesn't mean there's no conflict but at the end of the day there is this notion of like they're there together they're in it together i mean unless you're doing evil under the hood stuff like chris does at some points uh but i mean we're a pretty mature group and we kind of know that like chris does it well i think um for sure but this just sounds like expectations weren't all that clearly said, or maybe things like, uh, you know, that, that backstory buddy stuff that we've talked about, where when you're creating a character, you backstory buddy with somebody and you form bonds with other characters just right off the bat. Like, how do you know each other? What's, what's your relationship and like, et cetera. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, this, this doesn't just reading this, it, I'm, I'm glad they got a chance to chat it out and things have been going better, but I think, as a whole, everyone has to kind of be, you know, for the greater good or, you know, for the greater good of the party or, or team. Or even just for the greater good of just the game as a whole, right? You know, like at some point, you have to admit that everyone at the table is there to play and enjoy the same game, regardless of character conflict, right? Like it's got to move forwards. And if two yeah. people are just off squatting in a box in the corner, well, nothing's ever going to get done. Yeah, I agree. And I think... This is a fine line to walk sometimes because like, let's say the party wanted to kill something, right? And you are that more lawful good character and it's just completely not in character for you to attack this thing. Yeah, I mean, like, obviously, like that kind of conflict is, you know, it's going to happen. And that's like kind of like the intended con- conflict. I like the, I'm reading a little bit in between the lines here is that this situation was like deliberately antagonistic. If it's mm, resulting okay. like, you know, player deaths, right? It's not the same thing as like, ooh, like my alignment's a little bit different than yours. This is like, we're just not engaging. We're letting people die. And if, if it's not for session zero, right? It's clearly not like, a you know, an RP deep, you know, minor issue. It's something needed further, you know, like a deep intervention. Yeah. Yeah, I, like I, I, I like sense. conflict. Conflict's fun, but, you know, like it's never gotten to the point where the DM had to stop and be like, okay, like we got to figure out a way to get things moving. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess, you know, I guess the question here is like, did the DM handle this appropriately? I I guess that's kind of the overarching thing here. Yeah, I think they they handled it the best they could with the situation. I think maybe better prior planning with the session zero and like actually laying things out and making sure that people were, uh, 
content with the type of game that it was going to be might have saved them from having those initial problems. But I think once the problems crept up, having a second session zero and level setting with everybody is definitely the way to handle that. So I think the DM did a great job. I think the players probably could have handled their side of it a little bit better here. But um, I don't think there's anything else the DM could have done, really. Yeah, I'd agree with Mike. And, you know, like part of this, too, is, you know, without the rest of the context, like these could have been new players. So, you know, maybe they didn't really get it at the first session zero. And so, you know, this might have been the right call is, you know, have another one. They kind of get the vibe now and get everyone back on the same page. Yeah, I'm going to agree here. I mean, as a DM, like, you know, there's kind of jokes about like DMs being babysitters or DMs kind of like, you know, that sort of mentality. Um, I think DMs as a facilitator of the game have to be pretty aware of like everyone's personalities and their needs and wants and what they expect from the game. And it sounds like there was just a bit of disconnect here about like what the party wanted to do versus these two players. And maybe these two players, like maybe they enjoy that antagonistic uh, little adversarial or conflict kind of style, which in some games I think is really fun, right? Like I think rainbows and butterflies all the time is just not realistic, but it does sound like if it led to player deaths that this just went a little too far. (laughs) But as a DM, I mean, what can you do? I think the second session zero here made sense and uh, sounds like they're kind of on the same page and working together and things are going smoother. So I agree with Mike that. Yeah, I agree with you, Mike, where you said like maybe some setting expectations beforehand and a, a more thorough session zero. Like if they didn't have a very thorough one, maybe that could have helped avoid this situation. But uh Maybe that's just something to keep in mind as a DM is really setting expectations around uh, teamwork and and notion of like PvP or like letting other people die, etc. Yeah, even setting the expectation that if something isn't working for you, just tell me, just DM me, tell me what's going on. Take me aside, have a quick conversation. Let me know why you're not enjoying it. And then we can work it together rather than having that kind of divide at the table. All righty. Moving on, we got two more for this episode. Uh, The next one is... Uh, Webby, W-E-B-B-I 27 on the D&D Beyond forums. My DM was upset that I made a character with high AC. Am I in the wrong for this? I read through the post. This character seems to have like 25 AC at level three. <laughs> Some of the responses <laughs> looking at their character sheet, it does seem like they they added something that was possibly homebrew or something like that that gave them extra AC. Um, so clearly that's wrong, right? But I guess the notion here is like, what do y'all think of this notion of a PC being like too overpowered, just stacking AC to the point where they're unhittable or having a save where it's just like nearly impossible to save from? Um, I guess that's the gist of of this particular question is like the DM was upset that my character was really powerful with the high AC. Well, I mean, if he created the character within the rule set that the DM gave him to create, it, you can't really get mad, right? It's on you as a DM to balance your encounters around the characters that you allow to be created in your game yeah like absolutely if there was a mistake as long as there is nothing fishy happening which i mean it kind of sounds like it was because i honestly can't think of a way to get that much ac at level three like there's, there seemed to be something there seemed to be something that gave him an additional ac but let, let's put that aside so mistake aside right because this even happens within the rule sets where somebody can get a 25 26 27 ac and then they're they're virtually unhittable um so like yeah they're the, probably not the good at dex saves though yeah yeah like i think that it comes down to like 
is it like an earned thing right you know like as long as they built their character properly like it's kind of easy to play around it like there's maybe more enemy casters if you know everyone built incredibly high armor characters like if it follows the rules of the game if they feel like it's more on the dm to just accept that these things exist and are possible and just hit them harder to find out what makes them break exactly yeah i I think yeah if the characters are made within the rules that you give them you can't really get mad you have to balance your encounters around it uh i would obviously look through the character sheet with him and be like okay well how are you getting to 25 what are you casting that's making it go higher what gear do you have on like that kind of stuff like what is getting you to 25 and like okay actually you're supposed to be at 22 you're supposed to be at 23 or whatever it is um and then you just have to kind of work around that like i would just have them fight a bunch of clerics that have uh sacred flame or like they meet a bunch of casters that have things that make them do saves or uh they get like hypnotic patterns so they're incapacitated and they're easier to hit or like something right like there's tons of ways to work around high ac so like even if you're looking at not just high ac but like overpowered characters they're becoming overpowered within the rules that you're setting in that world so you need to be able to combat that there's just infinite ways that you can balance encounters around players that are perceived to be a little bit too overpowered. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. I think that little mistake aside, um, assuming the character is created within the within the rules, like as a DM, I'm not a fan of nerfing people and I'm not a fan of, I think there are ways to work around things like a high DC or a high whiz save, etc. I think one thing I do a lot is adjust stat blocks. Like I, th- I found that some of the stat blocks are just even at the right CR they just don't pack the punch I need them to, or they don't account for some of these things. Like this character is very min maxed and they have a 26 AC. So yeah, sometimes they do fight somebody with an extra, you know, plus three to hit Uh, like on top of their plus nine, I throw another plus three on there because the party has gotten to a point where it's a high magic setting. They're really well geared. They're smart players. They're min maxing. Um, And, you know, even I do this. I mean, in your campaigns, I've had characters with that could get up to like a 30 AC, but I built them specifically to do that. And I think a DM yeah. taking that away is just you're taking away. You're looking at the player's character and you're going, oh, you want to build this super hard to hit, really well armored, uh, you know, warrior or like, you know, fighter. No. And I think that's a big mistake as a DM. Yeah, absolutely. And like at the end of the day, like, CR goes to 30 for a reason is that, you know, like CR is a recommendation. If if your entire party is min max, they are not at the standard CR. If they all have magic items, they're not the standard CR. And it's not even like a thing like, Ooh, it's unfair. The DM to throw harder monsters. Like, no, it's not stronger. Adventurers will get, you know, will be picked to fight against stronger things. It's yeah. not, you know, like if you kept the party fighting goblins up until level 10, they would be considered overpowered because they're still fighting goblins and they can kill like eight of them in a turn. Yeah, I, I think ways around like we talk about AC, there are other stuff like whiz saves and things like that. But like somebody has a too high spell DC. All right. Now people know about that and they're coming with counter spellers. Uh, somebody yeah. has a really high AC. Um, OK, they now come with particular um they've invested some time and they've created some armor piercing stuff so they have more to hit or maybe they have advantage or you know maybe they come packing people with heat metal i mean i think there's so many ways around this i think it's a dm's responsibility to let the character live out that fantasy but if the character is 
too powerful and you need to kind of work around their 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 power level um i think you have to do it carefully because i think this can go the other way where now you're just bringing stuff that never attacks ac and this person's making a deck save every turn i think that can be kind of uh feels bad as well so i think there's a balance that you have to strike as a dm here yeah for sure you don't want to like metagame as the dm right like if somebody's never been encountered by this enemy before they're not going to immediately just start throwing sacred flames at them because they know yeah. they can't hit them it'll take time and you'll still gain the advantage for building your character the way you built them but you need to be able to balance around it that's all yeah and i mean you know what as a high ac character um not every encounter is going to be you being the punching bag there are yeah. going to be encounters where you get to swing your sword but i think one thing that's dm's maybe don't use as much. I use it almost all the time. When I'm determining my attacks, I always look at the intelligence stat of my monsters. Because if they're really dumb, they just kind of run to the closest thing and smack them. If they're yeah. higher intelligence, why would they waste time lashing out at this extremely armored character? It, it makes no sense for an intelligent monster to do that. Yeah. Um, or even like, you know, maybe that monster takes a swing or takes a bite and they bite armor and one of their teeth chips off and the next turn they run away take an opportunity attack run away and go attack the casters in the back I, I think using the intelligence stat of a monster can be a good justification for like hey why is this monster not hitting me well he's really smart and the first time he tried to he chipped the tooth so yeah now he's gonna eat the wizard yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> totally makes sense cool i think we're all agreed there too yeah, I, th I think so too. I think as a DM, it's the onus is on you to kind of craft a story for your players, and um, your job is to enable them to kind of live out their uh, their fantasy and what they want for their character. Yeah, at, for at, sure. at the end of the day, if high armor's got you down, just remember that rust monsters are only CR one half and theoretically could be bred at large scales. <laughs> yeah and this is a perfect kind of lead into the other one because obviously I think that said tongue in cheek, knowing you. Uh, but this next one, this is a, I have a feeling I know where it's going, but I'll read it out. Uh, this is from digital underscore fire on Reddit. Um, usually a good DM, if a little batshit insane, one campaign we were playing and he suddenly decided he wanted to undo so many cool things we had earned. We had painstakingly acquired a flying ship crewed by, uh, crewed by, and I quote, badass dwarven mercenaries. We park it about 60 feet above ground to go run a quick errand. We come back about two hours later and immediately get fired on. I, being the only person who can fly, head up to see what kind of fuckery is about. The ship had been taken over by a group of 40 orcs. We managed to take it back through a combination of brute force, great cleave is a hell of a drug, and setting the deck on fire. But all our dwarf buddies were still dead, and I'm fairly certain the DM didn't intend for us to take the ship back at all. He also took away everyone's magic items through use of an enormous anti-magic wall. Usually a great DM, but this campaign went sour pretty quick because of stuff like that. Go. Well, I, I mean, first of all, how did the orcs get 60 feet off the ground? The ladder? Why would they leave the ladder down if they see 60 orcs coming? Maybe the orcs brought a ladder. Maybe it's nighttime. <laughs> the dwarves were asleep. Hey, you ever watch Lord of the Rings where they bring ladders and they put them on the wall? <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. I didn't think of that. Ladders. Ladders to the airship. That makes sense. Or balloons. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, this airship was was parked somewhere, so it was stationary, and they did manage to get up there. I mean, with that aside, like... I mean, this seems like a, a problem where the DM, 
had gone too fast and loose with magic items and giving them stuff and didn't know where the story was going. I'm going to assume here that this is a homebrew campaign. Uh, and I think honestly, like this, this is something that falls on, on like, this is the DM's fault. It's not a good thing to do because it's one thing to have like consequences and, you know, like it can be a really cool thing to, you know, have something that like hits the players uh, that, that takes something away from them because it motivates motivate them. The problem is it has to feel earned, right? Like if players earn something and have it, you can't just be like, and it's gone because of, you know, shenanigans. Well, then it feels like there's no player agency, right? Like you're taking that away from them. As, as you just spoke about breeding a bunch of rust monsters to take out armor. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I, I agree with that. I, I think I'm kind of divided on this one because number one, like the ship is attacked by 40 orcs and they managed to battle those orcs and take the ship back, which I think is really damn cool. Now their dwarf buddies died, which I think makes for some good RP moments. Um, and they said, I'm fairly certain the DM didn't intend for us to sh- take the ship back at all, but the DM allowed them to take the ship back. So I personally think this was cool. It sounds like the, like, I guess like the, the DM didn't intend to, but it sounds like based on the players, they were able to recover their ship and the DM allows it. So that part, I think I'm curious about, I mean, the anti-magic wall that gets rid of a bunch of their magic. items. like, fuck that. That's just absolutely stupid. As a DM, I think if you're giving away magic items, loosey goosey, just scale your encounters, just add additional stuff. Like you shouldn't be taking away magic items from players unless there's a very good reason to do so. Like they're imprisoned and they're, they get confiscated, etc. Like if they were going to TPK and then all of a sudden they all wake up together in a dungeon somewhere with none of their shit. Yeah. Right? Like something like that. I can understand taking all their stuff away, but just like having a random wall, just take away all of the things that they've earned in your campaign is I, I hate that. Yeah. So, I mean, okay. Magic wall. Like I'll just give my verdict on like, fuck that. That's this taking away a bunch of magic items from your players without having a really good justification for it. And with, you know, Hopefully the intention was that they were able to get these things back in some way. But if the intention was just to kind of nerf the players, I think that's a huge mistake. It's a DM. Agreed. Yeah. I mean, it feels like one of those things where, like, if you're trying to, like, take away the player agency, like, even if they succeed, it is kind of, like, shitty. Expect the, you know, they're going to ask the questions of, like, you're telling me that, like, you know, 40 orcs just showed up where we parked our ship, went up 60 feet, killed all of our dwarves. It's like, yeah. you know, why, why were, how did this happen? Like, what, why did, why did it happen? You know, if it felt like if it, right, it's delivery. Like if it felt like it was like a bullshit thing, you know, like if you were being chased by an army of orcs and you're in enemy territory, very reasonable. If you're like in like a random town and then like, they just like carjacked your ship and got away with it. I'd be like, I guess we don't have a ship anymore. Cool. Uh, couldn't stop that. Yeah. Like it, it just, I, I think that maybe the DM wanted to have this like cool thing where there was some like sort of battle for the ship with some orcs or something. And he just picked a bad time to do it. Like if I mm. park my ship 60 feet off the ground with a crew full of badass dwarf mercenaries, I would expect them to be smart enough if they saw people coming with 60 foot ladders to just, you know, go up a little bit <laughs> and not, not get, not well, get into that kind of encounter. Yeah, that's true. Or, yeah, or they could have been, or they could have been mass teleport onto the ship. Who knows? Like as DMs, we BS a lot, so there's ways for orcs to get up there. But I think like 
the, the magic wall thing and taking away their magic items, like I'm wholly opposed to that. I'm a little more okay with the orc ship thing. I think it depends on context. Like you said, like was the ship just parked in a regular town and somehow orc like th- that wouldn't make sense. But like if they parked their ship kind of in a smaller town and uh, you know, an, an orc army band kind of made their way near and decided they're going to hijack it. I'm more okay with that, but it sounds like the situation wasn't handled well. I was going to say, I think what it is, like it counts like, you know, we could say like what the DM's intention was, but it obviously wasn't handled because the player perception of it was that he was trying to take their ship away with a nonsense encounter that they weren't meant to succeed. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, they did and it happened and that's cool. But at the end of the day, like they're kind of, you know, they finished it and they're like, I'm pretty sure the DM just tried to like steal our ship and that we weren't supposed to get that back in any way, shape or form. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's what, so the fact that the wall happened as well is what makes me think that that was the intention for the ship. I don't know if this happened in the same encounter, like well, not no, not oh, same encounter, yeah, but it's like definitely different things. But same, same DM, same party, like same game. Like I think gotcha. the fact that both those things happened makes me feel like he was just trying to yeah. nerf the party and take the ship away. Like maybe yeah. he didn't anticipate the fact that they get, oh fuck, well they they have an airship with a crew, they can travel twenty four hours a day in the air. They don't have any more travel encounters. They speed up all of their exploration, like. He probably didn't take into account all of the ramifications of giving them an airship when they got it. Mm-hmm. And now it's ruining his game. So he's like, well, fuck, I'm going to take it away. And it's the same yeah. with the magic items, right? It just feels like exactly what Chris said at the beginning of this is like he went fast and loose with giving them stuff without thinking about the ramifications of it. And then rather than expanding the world or expanding the encounters or balancing things better, he just decided to take it away. And that just kills player agency. It makes things less fun. Yeah. Or start like a new I campaign. All the magic items I have. It's awful. Yeah, start your campaign. Like you're done. Yeah, if you realize it's not too off the rails, it's like you'll talk to your players, be like, I think we need a reset on this. Do you want to, you can Mm -hmm. just, you know, play them as an alternate universe maybe or something like that or just completely new instead of being like, well, and then, ooh, all your stuff is gone. Let's keep playing. Yeah, I think this campaign just went off the rails a little bit because like in closing, Digital Fire says like, usually a great DM, but this campaign went sour pretty quick because of stuff like that. So clearly this person is like, thinks they're a good DM, but it sounds like this campaign maybe got a bit a bit off track and wasn't quite what the DM was was kind of hoping for. And he tried to drastically reshape the campaign with yeah some of these because cause he does say because of stuff like that. And he gives those two examples, but it sounds like there might have been more where it was this notion of just trying to like rein in the campaign. Yeah. So, I mean, verdict on this, how do y'all feel? Uh, I think for me, I think that the player is absolutely correct in being upset about that. And I I don't like the way that the DM handled either of those situations. I agree. I I think these situations were, they do sound like there's a bit of a disconnect and it does sound like trying to rein stuff in. I'm a really big proponent of never nerf. I, I almost never... Like, I mean, I, I gave a level six character an additional key point the other day because he did some really cool stuff and he's learning and training at school and he he unlocked, you know, an additional key point. I'm really a fan of just like give your player stuff and just scale your encounters and you, your players yeah. don't even have to know your encounters are scaled, but just scale them to kind of meet the players where they're at. Yeah, I mean, you know me, I will give people things to a fault and then I'll have to balance things to the fact where like you guys are fighting everything as two to three times. It's normal hit points yeah yep 
Sounds like we're this sounds like we're pretty much in agreement for most of these things. <laughs> for most of these, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think these are things that kind of a, a lot of these were found like searching for things like bad DM experiences and RPG horror stories and things like that. So I think these are common things we see across the landscape. Exactly. Yeah. I was just going to say the exact same thing. I think they're very common things and they warrant discussion because they do come up at like a lot of tables. Cool. Court adjourned. So as always, if you need to slide into a DMs DMs, you can DM us on Insta, Twitter, or Facebook at DMs Discuss, or hit us up by email at DMsDiscuss at gmail.com. And you don't need to wait for your DM to tell you to roll a perception check to find a new episode. Simply subscribe to us on your favorite podcatcher app. As always, check the show notes for more fun stuff. And if you have any topics you'd like us to discuss on Tears Court, feel free to just DM us or ping us on socials, and we'd be happy to feature some of your questions. Thanks, all.